G'day, DJ's Outsiders. This is your man, Stuba. And the Cruz. And unfortunately, we were three for three, but we're now three and one after our, our podcast. Still a good record, but um, a little bit deflated after we were getting up and move out with three really good performances. But it, what we're going to go through today is um, some of the positives we got the, from the the, the, the... the streak's over, Stu, which is really sad. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations that you're going to have a few losses and it's how you pick yourself up um, and it's how you address and get some learnings from the loss and hopefully we can sort of tap into why that happened and what we can do moving forward. Awesome. And that's a great segue into our topics for today. So we have uh, what positives we got from the game, uh, silver linings, if you will. The third quarter breakdown, well, a general breakdown of the game, but more importantly, breakdown of the third quarter where we lost it. Um, what happened in the middle? Uh, what's the pass mark for this season and what that means for Goodwin and possibly Marnie? And the preview and what that means in terms of win or loss, what that means in terms of making the eight, and then we might dive into uh, uh, a couple other newsworthy items. We might start the ball rolling cruise. Positives. Well done, Stuber. Well, I think the the positives to come from the game were... It might take me a while to, to sort of come up with some positives, but I think that from the outset, we didn't look on and we, we texted one another and it was pretty obvious that the boys looked off. They just looked a little bit off. And, I, and it was that, that first goal that we got, it was against the flow and it was a really good pressure act from Tommy McDonald running from the uh, forward line to, to tackle a doggy's play. The ball spilled out, Petrarca handballed it off and Wiedemann ended up kicking the goal. That was one goal against the flow and I, I, I found that was really positive to begin the game. Um, I think the backs worked really well, especially Stephen May. He was dominant all, all game and um, even Lever in the second half, maybe the first half he was a bit quieter and, and was found wanting at stages, but really played well in that second half. So I think um, those two were the really positive in the back line. I think a lot of the other defenders, whether it be Hibbard and Lockhart, sprayed the ball a bit too much and turned it over a bit much. But we'll get into that later on. I think the other positives to come from the game were that uh, that Wiedemann presented well. I think Tommy competed hard all day, although he didn't probably shouldn't should have clunked a few marks and maybe hit the scoreboard a little more playing on an, an inexperienced player in Gardner. But I think had we kicked straight as well, we might have been in a in, in the game right until the, uh, the final siren. So I think we're, we kicked ourselves out of the game somewhat. Um, due and to kicked into a few negative. hands somewhat. <laughs> and that is, wow, and that's a negative. But yes, yeah, Spargo and Melksham did that uh, for set shots, which, was, which is a big no-no. And I understand the conditions were pr- pretty swirly and the wind was causing havoc for a lot of players, but inexcusable at this level to be kicking the ball into the man on the mark. Great summary of uh, some takeaways. I agree with you definitely with the um, some of our defenders uh, really held their own, especially under some really trying conditions with some extremely good uncontested entries from the Western Bulldogs mids. So um, great pickups there. Also loved. And I think just before you launch into it, Stu, I think Hannon, the inclusion, it was a forced inclusion due to the injury of Nathan Jones. And it was an unfortunate for Jonesy, but I see Hannon in our best 18, so it was really good to see him. And even he had some good moments in the game with pressure acts and a really clean pickup that allowed Wiedemann to kick his second goal for the afternoon. And he's a really important play for the club, and hopefully he 
is not dropped um, this coming week because he showed enough again for me to, to retain his spot. Fantastic. No, great pickup. He adds the pace, he adds pressure acts. Um, Jones is a little bit slower, so probably not the same like-for-like player. And um, Hannon is better on the mark, but um, Jonesy does have a bit of awareness and gets up and down the ground his um, past midday. So he might have a spot, but he's a little bit of competition for that spot, seeing as we're a bit of a slow forward line at the minute um, with our current setup. Right on. The other positive I got from probably the second quarter where we realised how to break down the Bulldogs' defensive mix. And once you get past like a really aggressive tight zone around the contest and that immediate kind of 20-metre area past that, it's really open. And there was a lot of goals out the back, which seemed to come from nothing. But because we got past their initial pressure... I guess you could see why some of the top teams beat the Bulldogs by 30-odd points um, because they do leave themselves wide open with their aggressive mindset. But unfortunately, we were on the the flip side. (laughs) So we might break into... Before we go into the third quarter breakdown, I just wanted to touch on... Luke Beveridge had some really interesting comments where he, before the game, where he referenced that, like a boxer, the Bulldogs were going to get into the ring they were going to receive a few punches from Melbourne, but they were going to counter-attack and counter-punch. Going into the match, Ross Lyon mentioned that the Bulldogs are the number one rebound 50 to score team in the competition. And uh, that's why the game was going to be won or lost. And then at halftime, Luke Beveridge on the monitor was talking about how he's going to make some tweaks in the second half. And um, yeah, that leads us into the devastating third, third quarter. Do you want to give us some of your thoughts on what happened that quarter? Yes, Drew, but that's a really good point. I think in terms of addressing the the Bulldogs game style, in in order to play that attacking um, and that link football, uh, the team needs to have the ball in their hands. And the Bulldogs had the ball in their hands due to a lot of turnovers from us. So I think unless the, the team or the opposition, in this case it was the Melbourne Footy Club, plays into the opposition's hand, being the Bulldogs, uh, they will not have the game on their hands. And um, they, hadn't, they haven't had the, the game played on their terms for a majority of this season. And a reason why they're sort of on the fringes of the eight, I think they might be in the eight now, but the reason why they've been blown out by some, some teams this year. But look, we played right into their hands um, and it probably started with Big Proust, although he got his hands on the footy quite a bit and, and, and provided a lot a positive uh, work off the ball and around the contest in the centre and um, uh, ball ups around the ground. He was just handing it down the throat of the lot of a lot of the Bulldogs midfielders to the point where Luke Beveridge thought, "Hang on, um, our ruckman's not winning the taps, so let's play Josh Dunkley, a midfielder in the ruck, not even compete and be a fourth midfielder and Bruce. to combat the likes of Oliver Brayshaw, Petrarca, and Goodwin didn't have any answers for that." Yeah, um, to add to that, he also added Bruce into the third quarter. He he completely switched English into the forward line and put Bruce on the wall. Similarly to, he wasn't doing much in the forward line because May and Lever were dominating. And so, um, yeah, Bruce had, acted like a another midfielder, kind of putting pressure around. Yeah, disappointing. Good point. Yeah, and I guess uh, Hunter on the wing was quite impressive as well. Um he was quite effective from the start. And, and Aaron Vandenberg um, generally uh, was on him for most for most of the game. But 
I don't know. I think that could have been changed from the from the coaching um, guys upstairs, and whether it be Harms or whether it be Tomlinson, who's a winger, to to have gone to Hunter and make him a bit more accountable. I felt as though Vandenberg is really good because he's a utility um, that can play uh, as a forward, a back backline player, and a winger. Whereas I felt he was just stuck on a wing against a really intelligent winger, Lockie Hunter, um, and. Although I don't like Lockie Hunter um, because he ducks quite a bit and he got won himself three or four free kicks that were touch and go, um, that's besides the point. He's a very good player, very clever, and we played into his hands on the wing. And I think he outsmarted Vandenberg for a majority of the day. Again, that could have been rectified by the coaches, but they didn't act. Oh, 100%. You hit the nail on the head in terms of finding how did the Western Bulldogs break out of stoppages and how do they get out of their back 50 with an open man? Um, he's, he's the guy, he was the link. He was that guy who was available and playing a guy who's not a specialist winger. And I don't understand this. Last year, we had a special report from the AFL telling us that you need specialist wingers and wing is a very important position. And yet we continue to play these uh, part-time wingers. It's like, it's like our team has all these part-time spin bowlers <laughs> and, we're trying to, and we're trying to beat the number one team. Yeah, it's it's just not going to happen. So um, yeah, it's it's frustrating. But um, yeah, you get what you pay for. And if you put a specialist winger on a non-specialist winger, they're going to outposition them and they're going to run havoc. Um, and especially a player who's not the best by foot in that situation. He's good in the forward line, but and he's smart in the forward line where he can use his hands and he can have shots yeah. and goal. But on the wing, you need to be a better uncontested player, which is not to Vandenberg's strengths. Fantastic. I, I, I love that. I love that analogy, Stuber. And um, I, I, I only learnt of Goodwin's pre-game comments in the uh, the wash-up of the loss. And I have to admit, I'm quite disappointed. I, I'm not sure if you heard of them, Stu. And it was he was asked the question about the the elite midfielders for the Bulldogs such as Bontempelli or McRae or some of these other playmakers, um, whether it be Norton in the forward line. I know he wasn't um, too destructive, but he, he, he was asked the question about, do you go to them if they do get off the chain? And Goodwin said, no, um, we're going to back our system in and back our players in regardless. Now, I, I, I understand we have some A-grade talent uh, across the field, and it's all well and good to back your system in. But when things don't go to plan and they didn't go to plan early in that third quarter, there, there comes a stage where you have to sort of just concede and say, look, Bont is getting off the chain. He's had three inside 50 um, entries. They've all hit targets. After the first, that's forgiven. The second one, after that, you can't allow it. And he had the first three um, kicks inside 50 and they resulted in goals. Um, and that's inexcusable at this level. No, he, he definitely didn't make any changes. Although I have to play devil's advocate, I'm not entirely sure I would have put on a restricting role on the on their mids. I thought it was more just our midfield just didn't come in with a plan. If yeah. you're if you're Bruce and you tap at the ball directly to a Bulldogs player and they break out because of it, that's and he tapped. He seemed to tap it to a player who wasn't standing next to one of ours, and so they completely broke out, which makes it very, very hard to be, to take take away their transition um, when you're on the back foot like that. Which I think led to a couple of those um, instances that you're talking about, and the other one being that 
the Bulldogs, for whatever reason, the last sorry Melbourne for whatever the reason, the last three weeks without a ruckman, we've been playing a system where there's a lot of movement. We crash in, we get the ball, and when we have a ruckman, we seem to not move, wait, wait for the ball to come to us, and then for whatever. And because of that, it's really easy for the other teams to defend, swarm, yeah. get the ball out, and then get us back on transition, which leads to open players and open inside 50s, uh, uncontested inside 50 kicks in uh, for our opposition. So I think that was where it all fell apart and it was our own structuring that completely broke the game apart from a stoppage point of view. But it, going back to the third quarter, um, I want to break down different goals with you just really quickly, just set on a platter and then have you talk to them. So um, the first goal... You mentioned exactly right. It was a stoppage, um, came out, Bont was wide open and scored. Dees had it inside 50, went all the way back um, through Smith for a goal. Third one, uh, another inside 50, through to a goal. Fourth one was a 50-metre penalty by Melksham. Fifth one, inside 50, well, kind of inside 50, hat kick by Viney towards the, uh, the forward arc to a goal. And... Yeah, so you're getting the picture. It was inside 50 to, to goal was the last one as well. So in terms of damage, it was you're looking at inside 50 being the main culprit, one being a stoppage, one being a 50-metre penalty, which Melchin's giving up a, a couple of these in the past, so he just needs to learn his lesson. But, um, yeah, what do you reckon? Third quarter is the premiership quarter uh, for a reason. It's It separates the, the good teams from the bad teams. You, you, you can look... Um, to, to Richmond um, of the last few years. They generally don't put away teams in, until that third quarter. Geelong, Hawthorne of the last sort of five, ten years, they've been really good at punishing teams in that third quarter, separating um, them and, and getting that distance um, and, and sort of just just tread water in that last quarter. I think, not to say the Bulldogs are in that calibre, but they just came out very slick in that third quarter, whereas we looked a bit bit slow and um, I think I know it's 666 so you can't drop a man loose after a couple goals but maybe be ultra defensive on the wing maybe um, instead of trying to finesse the ball which Bruce was doing maybe just punch it 20 to 30 meters that's almost going to get you a forward 50 entry um, itself so there were things that they didn't really experiment I think Harms could have at least pushed up the ground a little bit more to get in the play, I think Brad Johnson mentioned that in the broadcast saying that he was one of our most destructive midfielders um, last year. And it sounded like Brad Johnson hadn't um, commentated too many Melbourne games because he was shocked that he was playing a defensive role. And he's played that defensive role for much of the year. So it's something we've raised again. But I just think you have to have, have a lot of personnel changes and options. And it seems like we don't make that many um, in the coach's box. But Stu, you, you touched on a really good point and I want you to talk into it because you really spend a bit of time looking into what went wrong in that third quarter. And you mentioned the spread. Now, why are, are good kicking teams and, and these top eight teams slicing us up so easily? Maybe just briefly talk into what happened in that third quarter about that. Well, I want, to, I want to start going back to brilliant comments, um, Cruz, as per usual. Raising the bar again this week. We're having an earlier time <laughs> slot for this broadcast and you, you lift your game, you're mate. So. Look, you're making me look good. <laughs> um, for, for the best teams, they generally have a really good coach. And I find that in the third quarter, the 
the coach has kind of thrown a few different changes in the first half to just see how the other team responds. And the best coaches then go from there, make their tweaks and really hammer them in the th- third quarter, kind of catching them by surprise. Uh, finds that's what you generally see. What Beveridge um, found out with our defensive zone is that it it has a weakness and that weakness is kind of enhanced. But, and this, this is what happened with Geelong. This happened with a few teams that have kind of weaved their way through our press. Um, would be that they've utilised the man, the extra player that they throw behind the ball after the ball's been bounced. We play extra behind the ball. Bulldogs had one to two extras behind the ball. And so when you see them waltzing out of 50, it's generally because, A, our midfield had such a bad job outside of the contest that we didn't get any uncontested uh, possessions and the only uncontested possessions we had were in the second quarter where we started getting some link handballs, which got over the back. But after that, they really shut that down. Um, and when you're getting hack kicks in and they've got one to two players inside defensive 50, they then, they're the number one handball side in the competition of Western Bulldogs. So they actually use their hands, which is really unusual in this day and age. Um, they're a long kick team and a, a short hit handball team which is kind of contrary to every other team in the competition but what they did is they used their runs they just used their extra men but positionally well so they wouldn't they didn't go down the obvious route they would switch it and sometimes they'd switch the ball twice in their back half until they found hunter with who is off from vandenberg or whoever it was to just who's had that link up spread and once they had it they just linked up handballs and went went downfield and because they were just streaming in so quickly, our extra defender was getting sweeped up in the process, trying to cover the extra players that were running up the field. And it just provided uncontested entries for them. So um, in terms of tweaks, as a coach, you, you see the zone, you see the press. There are things you can do that have the same sort of structure, but prevent that from happening. So if you see the other teams having an advantage and they're utilising their extra player better, you throw your extra player on the other side, as you were saying. So you chuck harms forward. All of a sudden, you've got another extra um, pressure player who prevents them spreading, prevents that switch, and you don't get three of those goals because they can't exit their back 50 as they were doing. And you get the the game back under control. Well done, Stu. That's a a great analysis, mate. um, I've got nothing else to add. You've, you've, You've... nailed it all on the head um i will just finish on this uh, my my last sort of comment in relation to the bulldogs game and um just bringing up mitch wallace uh, a good player a heart and soul player for the the doggies um gives it his all um but i just think when you allow someone like mitch wallace who's a starting 18 player to be the best on the ground and and the difference um i'd rather if you're going to lose the game you, you want to lose it to whether a, a Norton or a, a Bontempelli. And although Bontempelli was impactful in the day, I think Mitch Wallace is the, the best player in terms of impact, kicked four goals and was the difference. And I don't know I actually if that had, was... um, I had Liberatore, which is equally as disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the point. I think if you're going to lose to teams, you want to lose to their best players. And I, I think for me... I. I Bond and Pally was very good. McRae was okay. Norton didn't do anything. Bruce didn't do much. 
Um, so, yeah, I, look, their, their best players didn't have uh, exceptional games, but it was um, not, ne- not needed. It was on their terms, basically, from, from the, the end of the second quarter through to the end of the match, it was basically played on their terms. And for the most of the part, it was played on their terms. We had a, we did get a, some lucky breaks and um, kind of drew it even at half time. but then without making any tweaks, they ran over the top of us. Which gets us to our next segment, because we've already touched on what happened in the middle. So well done to us, being efficient. Pass mark <laughs> for this season. So at the start of this season, what did you think would be a pass mark and I want to give. I want you to give a bit of context to um, how did COVID change that in the only playing each team once. Yeah, that's a great point, Stu. I think it's well documented that we finished in the bottom um, four last year, and therefore, had there been no no COVID and that we had those extra six games, um, we may have played the the bottom handful of teams a second time. So, look. If that was the case, it, we, we, we might have finished um, higher on the ladder. But I think in terms of age of the list, talent and continuity of players playing games together, I still had us in the top six, regardless of a shortened season, regardless of um, where the games were being played. I know it's, it's, it's been uh, a season where every single team or... or, or a majority of the Victorian teams at least have played away from home. So they've all been disadvantaged to an extent. Um, But I still had us in the top six. So to answer your question, I think anything outside the top eight last year would have been a fail or even a top higher because a lot of people had us touted as flag favorites, even in the conversation. Um, So anything outside that sort of top four last year would have been a fail. So that was a fail. This year I would have said top six because, because we, um, didn't have the luxury of facing those bottom teams again. Had had we had a um, a full season, I would would have said around that pushing or knocking on the door of a top four. I think top six is what I was expecting, but anything less than a top eight finish this year would be a big, big, big problem for the football club. I, I think two years not making the eight um, after the 2018 season and building up until that point would be a disaster. And I think... If we don't finish in the eight this year, then there'll be a lot of uh, answers that need to be uh, Sorry, a lot of questions that need to be answered. Oh, very good. Oh, he's put the fire on. Uh, he's... How about you, Stuber? What do you think a pass mark is um, for season 2020? I think it's public record that um, the club put out there that finals is the expectation. So... Um, I think finishing bottom two, playing every team once, with all the uncertainties of this season, I think it's it's a difficult season. So I'll give them a little bit a little bit of leeway of where they finish in terms of top eight. But top eight should still be what they should be aiming for. Even looking at the teams around us, like there's no reason why we should have lost to Western Bulldogs. There's no reason why we shouldn't be finishing above. If the next best competition below that is GWS, like they're playing horrible footy. So, and Fremantle's knocking on the door of the eight. So that's kind of telling you kind of this competition where it's at right now. So we really should be above that. So with the talent on our list. list. So that brings us to our next point. What's that? And you raised it just before. What's that mean for our football department? And if we lose again, 
what's in terms of our breakdown in the next few games? I guess we have St Kilda this week. Yeah, I, look, it, yeah, it, touching on that, I think if we lose to the Saints, I've done some calculations here, Stuben. Whilst I'm no mathematician, I um, I can work out that if we do lose to the Saints this week, we need to win our four remaining games against Fremantle, Sydney, Giants, and Essendon, and that wouldn't be impossible, but it just makes it really tough. You can't uh, put a foot wrong, and that means you can't afford to rest players, or you have to have maybe bring in some talented players that might be carrying injuries. So it just makes it uh, a little bit tougher. So the Saints are going to be our toughest um, uh, test, I think, uh, in the remaining five matches. And they'll be hungry because they uh, came up short against the Lions. So, look, whilst our percentage is good, we're competing against teams like Collingwood that have that draw. And the Dogs are one win ahead. So we just... If we do lose the Saints and the Dogs win, then we're two games ahead regardless of our good percentage. So whilst the percentage is important, um, we just have to win four more games. Now, if, it, if, it, if it's not St Kilda this week, we have to win those four. I just think winning against St Kilda is important because the pressure um, is not there week to week because every week is a final thereafter. Then that can be quite taxing, especially with um, short turnarounds and a four or five day break back to back. And on top of that, that would, if you discount Collingwood as a top eight team in terms of form when we played them, that would, if we lose to St Kilda, that would put us as the the team that possibly makes the eight but didn't beat a single team deserving of being in the eight, which equally is a bit of a, a black mark on us and I would give us no confidence whatsoever going into the finals and probably getting absolutely belted. Um, first round. And I guess looking forward to St Kilda here, Stu, but I, um, ben, uh, Brett Ratton has coached especially well to date. So we're coming up against another really good coach and a, and a powerful system. So um, I reckon if there was another five minutes uh, in the Saints and Lions, they might just have run over the top of the Lions. They were coming home really strong. Zach Jones looked quite... Um, impressive through the midfield then they've got the likes of Jack Steele that is not I would say a great midfielder by any stretch of the imagination but he tackles hard and he plays a defensive role so he'll more than likely go to Oliver or Petrarca and wear him like a glove but the biggest concern um, this week would be their the ruck duo of uh, is it Marshall and Ryder and having Gorn who's maybe not um, entirely fit but it sounds like he'll be playing this week regardless. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. We've got the ex-Saints uh, coach in our next to Woody. So hopefully, <laughs> so hopefully he's passed on a little bit of feedback. I know Ratton's made uh, a number of different minor tweaks to their system, which has paid off in dividends and a few different personnel changes. But by and large, it's the same sort of system. So hopefully we have a few little insights from him. Um, this, yeah, yeah Ryder's taking the centre bounces. Um, and then Marshall takes the around the ground. So that's worked really well. Riders actually got them into the third place in the competition for centre clearances, so which has been a bit of an issue for us. So that's definitely a watch out. They play that forward half uh, game. They're second in tackles inside 50. They're low turnovers, um, lots of run. They, they're third in terms of bounces and they have the highest scoring accuracy in the competition they have the um in terms of goals and they have the most goals inside 30 meters which is definitely a watch out when 
will seem to be leaking goals against the good teams. Yeah. Okay. That's there's some really um, good stats there, Stuart. And we're going to have to be at our at our best. Um, I don't see. T- I'm not sure what the changes will be for us. It's too early to say. I mean, for the viewers, we're doing this on a uh, a late afternoon Monday, um, so it's still pretty early. But it sounds like um, Tommy Sparrow will, will will probably be out. Um, I'm not sure if Nathan Jones comes straight back in, but it sounds like the the, the coaches want him want him in. Um, so that might be a, a change, and maybe Gorn for Pruce. Um, I don't think you can play Gorn and Pruce, uh, but as far as the Saints match winners go, I, I'm not sure if there's anybody that I'd be too concerned about from an individual standpoint. Um, I would, I think their halfback is like young Hunter Clark, but there's a few players off the halfback line for the Saints that have been impressive this year. And um, Jack Billings is, is probably that, that star that um, if we are going to focus on someone, whoever's playing on him in the back line has to really um play play really well because it might be a Salem or a Hibbard but Jack Billings has taken his game to the, to, to, to the next level this year and um, and he's a goal kicker so uh, he'd be the one that I'd be concerned about um, from an individual standpoint but like you alluded to their system is really really good and um, they have a simplified game plan that they uh, can bring week in week out with um, uh, knowing their role. So uh, it'll be an interesting test for us. Um, and it's a, it's a night game too. So it'll be a little bit dewy, but I think the, the, the destiny is in our hands. So uh, we just have to, to win uh, four of these next five. Um, and there's no excuses. Oh, fantastic. And good setup. Um, the other thing to, I think where you think, so in terms of their lineup, they have Ben Patton, um, Dougal Howard off the half back flank. Um, on the AFL list, I'm not a, a St. Kilda Google expert. Howard, he's the one. Thanks for thanks for bringing it up. He, he's a he's a really good player. He, he's got that long um, right foot that I was I was thinking about. There you go. And then they do have special swingers in um, Bradley Hill. Um, they run um, Billings and Ross through the the wings, and so we really need to be watching ourselves on those fronts to make sure we're not putting Vandenberg in a position where he's going to be at a negative when he's a, a very, very good player on his day. Um, the other thing to watch out for is they play a very tall forward line. So they have um, uh, Max King, Membry, and either Rowan Marshall or Paddy Ryder running through, which is quite big. And you really wouldn't want to have Tomlinson on either Ryder or Marshall, um, if that's the case. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting setup for us defensively. And Dan Butler's in fantastic form. Although he's been um, targeted for for opposition teams to tag him out to stop his influence. So that's one to watch out for, whether they put Harmsy towards him. Yeah, that's a really good one, Stu. I forgot about Dan Butler, but he's had a tremendous year and he's in the top five or thereabouts uh, as far as the Coleman race goes. So he's the other guy with Billings that we need to really be careful with. Um, and it might be worth bringing in Oscar McDonald or a, or a Joel Smith even to be a third tall because, yeah, I think Tomlinson um, is, is, is having an impact in terms of possession and, and hitting targets out of the back line. But in terms of the contest, the aerial contest looks um, a little bit uh, wanting at times. And we don't... He's a winger. To... We're crying out for a winger. We got a winger. Put him on the wing. <laughs> yeah. And I think the only benefit 
of Payne Tomlinson in the back line is that Lever is slowly becoming a bit more comfortable in that third role. But if you've got a defender like like Oscar, then 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 I think Doesn't you have to But the benefit of playing, uh, putting Oscar in the back line, sending Tomlinson to the wing is you put Vandenberg back in the forward line. So you have better pressure. Um, you have a really good target up forward and yeah, it helps, uh, helps our system. So great pickup. And then um, the last thing you want to touch on was news around the AFL, a bit of a diving issue. Yeah, I, I just, I went, we're not going to put in tips this early to, to jinx our great days. I think on a Monday, unless you wanted to Stuber. Oh, I'm, I'm so down. I, I put us down as a loss right now. Okay. Right. I'm, well, I'm usually it's... beaming, but um, we've seen Kilda play the type of game that we seem to lose against. They play. They like to play an extra player around the ball, which is similar to um, Geelong and Port Adelaide. So in terms of game style, they play the type of game style that we seem to lose against. So, yeah, unless good, I'd need Goodwin to make some changes for us to win. Yeah, uh, good point, Struber. Um, all right, in terms of the diving issue that you touched on, uh, it, it is becoming a concern. Um, but it, it, like, like you said when the last time we spoke about this, it's not going to be... It's not the first time that someone's done it. It's not the last. But what we can do is that we can ad- address it because it is generally the same players that keep doing it. And whether it be a small forward such as Tom Papley or, or someone like Dylan Grimes... I, I think the bigger issue is that um, Richmond and these better teams can and tend to to milk it a little bit more. So Dylan Grimes and Vlosten, from what I've seen, they do it most weeks and they'll get a free kick or two most weeks, but they'll do the stuff off the ball, whether it be Tom Lynch, um, you know, throwing the odd punch in the forward line or, or some of these players. And the and the and the better successful teams have have all done it in different ways. I remember Hawthorne used to creep over the mark. Um, when they had their three-peat. I, I know that Hodge and Sam Mitchell did some stuff in terms of holding on to the player a little bit longer when they were trying to get off um, and look for options. So, and then Richmond and, and the AFL to put, bring in a rule to keep players on, the, on their line. And then Richmond similarly had to, they had to bring in a, a separate rule to stop players from running into the, the kicking zone, as it were to counteract what Richmond did. So what are you seeing in terms of any rules that they might have to bring in to stop undue influence? Well, well, I, I think we just have to have umpires that know the game, that understand the better clubs are, are getting away with it a lot more and getting these umpires to, to do their job a bit better because it seems like they're, that they're not calling the bluff of these Richmond players. And if they're going to... It's not the Richmond people... Um, fans and stuff have said um, some terrible stuff on social media targeting players of certain rich and players. Just not off. Let's just, yeah, let's just call that out. That's uncalled for. That's disgusting. But I think the umpiring has to be better. And if if they're aware of this issue, then be be on the lookout. Don't just guess or don't preempt certain things. Um, Call it as is and do what you can control. Um, I often hear with with the mic pieces that umpires have that they tend to, if, if they're not hurrying on players or, or coaching, I mean, I think that co- uh, umpires have a, have a job and that's to officiate. So once you start trying to um, make decisions for players, then you're, you're losing sight of your primary role and that's to, to, to call 
a, a play-by-play call the game. And it's a really difficult job. Is that job. the, uh, is that the Vandenberg one where he, he said he played on when he put his hand up? Precisely. And that's <laughs> He's like, Vandenberg, you go off and play on. He's like, no, yes. sir. <laughs> exactly. And, and, oh. and that's what I'm saying. That's not what the umpires are there to do. They're not try- they're, they shouldn't be there trying to... And I understand that's a directive from the AFL to speed up the game. But their primary, the, the primary role they're there for is to officiate the game. And I'd rather them look at the stuff that we just mentioned prior because they're, they're, they're issues. And if the successful clubs are going to get away with it, then they will continue to do it. And so they should. I mean, I would but continue to do that. I would, I would argue that in terms of diving, I, I think that umpires have a hard enough time as it is that rather than trying to second guess themselves to double check whether it's the player that they think it is. They're trying to make these instinctual calls. There's only um, three of them, if I understand correctly. So they're not getting the best angle. They're not double check. They're kind of having to double check to see whether it happened and to also check who it was to make sure it's not one of the quote unquote divers. That's a hard thing to, to bring in. Um, It's a really tough job. I would have that as a, uh, match review committee as much as we hate them if if they actually did their job you get you give an automatic suspension to anyone who does a a quote-unquote flop or exaggerates contact anyone who exaggerates it for to help get a free kick um, if you give it automatic suspension I can guarantee you after three weeks you'll you'll see a drastic decline on how many players are going to be um, exaggerating or or pushing for free kicks in that method. So um, that's the perfect solution. And then that, same is punching. Anyone who does open hands, closed fist, anything that you want to get rid of, if you stop putting fines on and you actually suspend them, then I think you'll find or, very quickly that players will not do it. Or yes, and that's that, 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 that's that's the solution. That's the obvious one, but it's also common sense. Uh, is at least give a fine um, and the second time round it should be an automatic suspension, not, not a fine and fine after fine after fine. So that's, that's the problem, but well, um, hopefully that, that it... it depends. I think if, if it's a, I think the, f- the first time you, you get the first rounds that you instigate that rule, I'm a big believer that you have to give people a little bit of time to adjust. So maybe you implement the rule next year. You give them the first round It's like a first round, you get a fine just so people understand what it looks like and what sort of actions would be called as and what would be called for as a suspension. And the next week after that, it's just a, a suspension straight off. No more warnings. None, Cause right now, like all these hub interactions, like those poor Adelaide players who celebrated after the Western Bulldogs game and invited people over, they knew the rules. There was no yeah. doubt after that, that shouldn't have happened. And so they should have been suspended for the rest of the season. Like that poor Sydney player. I, I yeah, say, of course, yeah. he, he flaunted the rules as well. Yeah, yeah. but as far as, um, yeah, those Port Adelaide players, they got off scot-free. They served less time uh, on the sidelines than poor Alex Neil Bull, and that's a guy that was unlucky and made an example of. But we touched on that. We don't need to go back into the Alex Neil Bull incident. Still Talking a sore point. About, Still a sore point. <laughs> I did read, Stuva, and I might be getting excited that um, these are only rumours, I should just say for the record, these are rumours, so who knows um, the, the legitimacy of these. Um, but Jesse Hogan might be on the outer with, with, with Fremantle and he's fit and ready to play, yet he's being managed 
um, cautiously by Fremantle and there might be some teams pushing him at season's end. So if, if that is the case, I would love and welcome him with uh, open arms back at Demon Land, but um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. <laughs> That'd be fun. Um, well, in terms of people who are crying out and saying, hey, I've got a feel for Tom. I don't think he's um, 100% healthy, uh, but he's also not being played in his preferred 2018 role where he went up and back. But in terms of trying to upgrade our system, if you want to upgrade our back position or uh, put Tomlinson not in the back line, Hogan can play back line as well and could be a superstar. So Hogan can play anyway. And remember Paul Ruse, he, he, was, he said that Jesse Hogan could be one of the best players in the comp at any position, whether it be centre forward, centre back, or even on a wing. Um, so, look, I just want to see the kid um, reach his potential. And whether it's at Fremantle or whether it's at a non-Melbourne club, I just hope to see him getting on the park and playing well. But um, yeah, I yeah, don't I'm... think it's going to be at Fremantle. So, uh, if he's looking away, the last time he played good football, um, and he loved, he did love the system. Um, so, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it wasn't like... Um, Hawthorne with Crode, where he decided to come back and come back to the club that he started with, or um, yeah. or Sidebottom. Was it Sidebottom? No, no Beams, yeah. sorry, Beams. Beams, yeah. Same column, same team, but uh, wrong club. <laughs> as long as it's not Essendon. Oh, I'll, I'll butcher the Essendon players more because I don't like them. <laughs> I'll make it a point. <laughs> All the teams I hate the most. All right, well, that's, that about does it. Um, yep. We only just touched on the Goodwood thing. I think that we have a sneaking suspicion, and that's just me talking, but I think um, Cruz is the same, that this is going to be a bigger talking point as we continue to most likely lose a couple games in the line home, which is going to be a bit of a talking point going on. So no point banging on in this episode and... And wasting our good content on it right now, but wait for it to be a bit of a more pressing issue before we go too hard on it. Well done, Stuba. Another a great uh, chat and podcast with your fine self. You're always making me look better than uh, what's coming out of my mouth. So I appreciate you making me look better than what I am. You got it. All right. Take care, these fans. Until next time, see these outsiders. Go, Dees. Go, Dees.